Welcome to Life-Giving Order Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Reverend Todd Laddick, and I'm bringing to you a message entitled uh, Kingdom Questions based off, based off of Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 32. That's Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 32. So let us dive into the Word today. Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. But first, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for the harvest time has come. Jesus said, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it, come, it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Jesus used similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables, but afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Amen. We are so busy looking for the end result that we often pass up on the journey just so we can reach the destination. The truth is that our home is really the journey, not the destination. And, of course, that means that we have been asking all the wrong questions. Kingdom questions should lead us toward movement, toward Christian service, as opposed to retirement. I remember when I was three or four years old, and I knew that I was called to be a pastor. As I've recounted before, I would use my mom and dad's eight-track ta tape tower as a pulpit, and upon it, I would open up my children's Bible and point to the illustration of a happy Jesus holding children on his lap. God says love one another. I would preach with sincere confection. God says love one another. Growing up as that little boy, I, I saw being a pastor as a way to serve God, who, who I loved with all my heart. With that said, I also saw that as my destination. One day I would grow up, I'd go to school, I'd become a pastor. That was why I was alive. That was what I was meant to be, to become a pastor. That was the fate set out for me. That was the ultimate thing I would work toward being. Of course, as a teenager, that was not the destination I wanted to head in. Not, not in the slightest. That actually, that's actually the funny thing about destinations. They can be changed. And we can end up so lost after a while that we forget just exactly why we were traveling to begin with. One of my favorite things about fantasy stories, and in particular the stuff of the 80s like the Labyrinth or um, Legend or... Uh, any any one of those things is there oftentimes in those stories are a maze and I remember in the the film Labyrinth that was the main point of the whole film was he had to get to this maze and 
in order to conquer this uh, wizard, you had to you had to successfully get through the maze and out out with the wizard. And um, you tend to get lost in mazes. You tend to forget why you're traveling to begin with, right? Like you t you tend to forget that there's even a way out, and you lose hope. So. I changed destinations and then changed destinations again and each time kept hitting a dead end, kept hitting one of those ends in the maze that will not get you out. And I kept asking the following questions. Where am I heading? What religion do I belong to? Where will I end up? What will happen to my immortal soul? The idea was that there was somewhere I needed to be and I needed to find out where that was that is what prevailed in me during that time. Where do I need to be to get to where I'm supposed to be? Where do I need to be? What, what, is, what is God calling me to? From my teenage years came my early adulthood years and several years outside of the Christian context, after several years outside of the Christian context, I came back to Christ in 2004 and quickly remembered the call I had as a young boy. I had left it. I'd studied other religions, done other things, but finally I came back. I was called to be a pastor. That was my destination, right? The steps along the way included finishing my associate, bachelor, and master degrees, as well as, go, as well as go through the United Methodist ordination process. And once all of that was done, I would be ordained. I would be a pastor. I would reach my final destination. So, as far as I could tell, my destination was ordination. And that gave me my directions as to how to get to said destination. There was just one glaring oversight in this destination-driven mission. Once I got there, then what? What would follow that? Retirement? Obviously not. Not for quite some time, anyway. It became clear, especially as I went through seminary and led my first congregation, that destination, or in this case, being ordained, was only the beginning. It wasn't the end. Really, it wasn't a destination at all, but a milestone, a, a, a new starting point in the journey. Let's consider some things. Many look at the kingdom of God, which we also consider to be the same as heaven and or the kingdom of heaven. Many look at the kingdom of God as our final destination, the place where we arrive once we, quote, have been good, end quote, and stayed in God's, quote, good place or good graces, end quote, and died from our earthly lives. That's when we go to this destination spot called heaven. And it's the final destination spot. It's eternal. We look at, at heaven as that spiritual place that exists up there in the clouds, where the angels float and the streets are filled with the saints. This kingdom, of course, has the pearly gates, which is guarded by St. Peter. Now, of course, I'm, I'm being facetious somewhat and recognize that most people understand this view of heaven to be 
more cartoonish than real. Still, there are many who expect heaven to be something close to the above description. The truth is that we need not go anywhere to attain that destination. We're already here. Yes, sir. Seriously, check out Revelation chapter 20 chapters 21 and 22. The entire last book of the New Testament ends with heaven being established on a newly reborn earth. That's right. Heaven will be on earth. We're already here. So clearly, question centered on the location of the kingdom of heaven is missing the point entirely. Now don't get me wrong, asking where one is heading is never bad as it gives a sense of direction. It gives us a sense of direction. However, knowing the destination does not mean we have direction. Right? Knowing that I have to head to New York City doesn't mean that I know I need to head east, which is where New York City lies, at least in, in relation to where I am. Of course, to some, you may have to head west to get to New York City. Knowing where you need to go doesn't mean you have direction. Let us look at what scriptures say. Let us look at what the scripture says in regard to what sort of kingdom questions we should be asking in order to find out our destination. Let us look at some questions here, okay? In our passage today, in our passage today, we see Jesus teaching two parables, two parables. In fact, before we get into the parables themselves, Mark explains that Jesus taught the majority of people in parables. The only exception to this was when he was alone with his disciples. He taught them what the parables meant. However, everyone else had to figure it out on their own. Why is this? It's a bit of a mystery. According to Mark, Jesus only ever taught in parables during his public ministry, teaching them as much as people could understand. According to Matthew, however, Jesus taught in parables in order to seemingly confuse people and or keep them from understanding. Now, I think to understand this seeming discrepancy, we need to understand them in light of each other. First, Mark's gospel was the earliest one written, and therefore, we have to assume that Matthew knew of and even referred to Mark's account. That is quite evident when you read the two, that that Matthew is aware of Mark's account. What's also evident is that Mark's account doesn't have Jesus trying to confuse the people he's teaching, but trying to teach them in a way that they might understand. With that said, there are clearly people who aren't getting the message, and that leads Matthew to reflect a little more on what's going on there. Why are people not getting Jesus' message? So the difference between the two the differences between the two passages are subtle. 
Matthew 13, uh, in Matthew 13, Jesus stated to his disciples that you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not permitted. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will be will have abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these pe- uh, parables. For they look, but they do not really see. They hear, but they don't really understand. Well, Jesus' wordings in Mark and Matthew kind of go hand in hand then. On the, on the surface, they sound as if they are contradictory and confusing. However, they can easily and reasonably be understood together. In Mark, Jesus said that he taught in parables so as much as the crowds could understand. In Matthew, Jesus teaches the crowd in parables to fulfill Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, where God says that the people will hear and see the word of God, but they will not understand nor comprehend what they hear and see. Clearly, the people hearing and seeing Jesus were fulfilling this ancient prophecy by Isaiah. Most of the crowd was hearing and seeing, however, they did not fully understand nor comprehend the events taking place, and so what little they did understood were, was removed from them. They just didn't get it at all. They heard and saw, and following that, nothing. Nothing. Nada. They went back to their lives. But for those who did not go back to their lives, for those who did hear and see, they were given the secrets to the kingdom. For those who truly listened and understood that there was something deeper to what Jesus was teaching, they stuck around. They became disciples and they learned the secrets. In other words, they saw that they were asking the wrong kingdom questions. And instead of keep asking, instead of keeping on asking those questions, they sought the ones, they sought the one, excuse me, who could refocus them. They sought Jesus who knew the answers, who could refocus them. And indeed, Jesus did refocus them. Take the parables taught to us today, the parables of the growing seed and the parable excuse me, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of of the mustard seed, they were used by Jesus to teach the crowd. Within those parables is the truth that is accessible to anyone in the crowd who is opened up to learning it. In the parable of the growing seed, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a farmer, to a person who works on a farm, who plants things, seeds in particular. Let's say that again. The kingdom of God is like a farmer, a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. The kingdom of God, a seed-scattering farmer. And that farmer has no clue What happens after scattering the seed? She knows to scatter the seed, and she knows that will result in the seed growing into plants. That, of course, will require a harvest. 
But that is all the farmer knows. The farmer does not know the finer mechanics of how the seed actually contains life that, given the proper conditions in water, can grow into a full plant. Next, Jesus uses another unexpected analogy to illustrate the kingdom of God. In verses 31 through 32, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a teeny tiny mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. Everyone hearing Jesus' words, everyone hearing Jesus would know the seed, and they would know the annoying, invasive, overpowering weed shrub that seed would produce. There was nothing seemingly redemptive about the mustard weed. However, Jesus stated that instead of becoming an unruly shrub, it grew into a gigantic bush or tree, the largest in the garden, so that even the birds of the air found shelter and protection in its branches. Wow! Unexpected! So let's get this straight. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who plants seed and, despite not knowing exactly how it happens, produces a massive harvest, including more seed to be planted in a new season. What's more, the kingdom of God is like a teeny tiny mustard seed. Like a teeny tiny mustard seed. And, despite not knowing knowing exactly uh, what is going to happen to it, It is the smallest seed when planted by the farmer, and yet, mysteriously, it takes over in a way that provides shade, shelter, and sanctuary to birds and other animals, rather than becoming an unruly, chaotic weed that chokes out the life of other things in the garden. This becomes a life-giving tree or bush that provides shade, shelter, and sanctuary to birds and other animals. So it's as if the dandelion becomes an azalea bush. Or it's as if the um it's as if the the dandelion or milkweed became crepe myrtle. So The kingdom of God is both like a farmer who plants seed and it is like the seed being planted. It is both clueless to the inner workings of the seed and it is the seed itself, including all of its inner workings. To some, this is just gibberish. It is much to do about nothing. How can the kingdom be a person? How can the kingdom be a seed? How can the kingdom be the both of those together? The latter could possibly be argued, perhaps, but how can a kingdom be the lowly farmer planting a crop at the same time as being the crop itself? But truth be told, the message of the parable is really simple if we're open to it. We, as in you and I, are the representatives of the kingdom of God. With that said, we are not the kingdom of God itself. So clearly, the seed and the farmer represent 
both us and the kingdom of God in its fullness. And we are not the fullness of the kingdom of God. We are merely ambassadors, representatives of it. We are pieces of it. No, we are the farmers planting the seed that is going to shock the hell out of all of us. That's what we are. We are farmers planting the seed that is going to shock the hell out of all of us. We are not the kingdom of God itself, but pieces of the kingdom of God, representatives, farmers. And it will grow larger than us and anyone else, as it will be the largest tree in the garden. That, my friends, is the kingdom of God, and in its entirety, you and I are a part of it, a part of ushering it in. How awesome is that? Friends, what sort of kingdom questions have you been asking in your life? Perhaps you have wondered if there is a heaven, and if so, where it is. Perhaps you have seen your life as being on a path toward heaven, an escape from what is to a hopefully better what will be. Or perhaps your kingdom questions have been around your identity and or your place in God's kingdom. Whatever your kingdom questions have been, I pray that the Holy Spirit refocuses you on the real question at hand. What does God want me to do for the kingdom? If you humble yourself enough to ask that question, to prayerfully and pleadingly question what your role in the kingdom is, then you will be of the sort who follow Jesus and have the kingdom secrets revealed to them. I want you to think about that. How awesome is that? Sisters and brothers, here are some kingdom kingdom questions for us. Regardless of whether you're part of First United Methodist Church of Newton or a part of a different church, here are some kingdom questions for us. What are we doing to plant the kingdom of God? Are we sowing seeds? If so, where? Is the seed falling on fertile soil, or is it getting wasted? Are we trusting God to work out the inner mechanics of seed growing and preparing for the harvest to come? Do we have planters and harvesters among us? Friends, Kingdom questions lead to two gospel truths. First, we are the kingdom, or as Paul put it, we are the kingdom's ambassadors, and we are the way in which the kingdom will spread. Namely, we are the farmer. We're the planter. We're the sower of seeds. Second, if we represent the kingdom and we bring the kingdom with us, then it follows that it is on us through the power and help of God. We can't do it on our own. It's not on us alone. But it is on us in partnership with Christ through the power of and help of God, of of Christ, to spread the gospel until that point when Christ returns and God's kingdom is here on earth in all of its fullness, in all of the glory of God. 
These are the answers to your kingdom questions. Yes, you are already a citizen and you do represent God's kingdom. And yes, you have been called to be a part of building that kingdom through spreading Christ's love and Christ's reign. Here's the kingdom question for you. Will you accept that invitation to not only be from the kingdom, but to represent it along with Christ and his chosen ones? I'll ask that again. Will you accept that invitation to not only be from the kingdom, but also to represent it along with Christ and his chosen ones? You being one of them. This is the kind of church we will be. A God-believing, Christ-following, world-changing church. Amen? Let me hear you say God-believing. Amen. Let me hear you say Christ-following. Amen. Let me hear you say world-changing. Amen. That is the kind of church we are. God-believing, Christ-following, world-changing. Devil better check himself. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this mission to be your people, to be your representatives of the kingdom, of your kingdom, the kingdom of God. Help us to also be that farmer in the parables that spreads the kingdom of God, not knowing how it works, not even needing to know how it works, but humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves so that we do the work of the kingdom and leave the details to you. Help us to be such a faithful people where that work gets done and where those details get carried out. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Friends, I'd like to thank you for tuning in always. I enjoy having you here. Um, And this is an important message, of course. uh, One in which we need to to really just um, be aware of who we are and who God calls us to be. And as always, uh, if this is your primary means of getting fed and feel the Holy Spirit leading you to support the ministry of First United Methodist Church of Newton, you'll see the links to PayPal and Tithely there. Um, Tithely is where we mainly get our, our uh, giving from, but uh, if you use PayPal and that's more comfortable for you, you can use PayPal as well. Both are easy. Um, and uh, the nice thing is, is that... Um, that both give you a way and a means of supporting uh, this ministry. Now, if you attend another church and this is just merely supplemental, then by all means um, support the church you attend or support us both. I won't argue that. With all that said, remember you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.